Hi, I'm Marcus, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon. You can too by visiting patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. Welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener, to the edition of our podcast we call Back Issue. This is a podcast where we take a look back at a former issue or series or trade paperback or storyline that we loved growing up as young children or teenagers or even adults because, you know, we're kind of old anyway. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Jason. Hey, George and everybody. And uh, just speak for yourself about calling people old. I'm still young and in my prime. Okay. And today we have two (laughs) guest panelists on the show. We have John and Mo. How's it going, guys? Hey, I'm not sure why I'm here, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> John, I'm not sure why you're here either, but hey, yeah, I'm nice such to a have comic you. book neophyte that uh, yeah, I, I, I'll I'll do my best to keep up with you guys, I guess. Well, I I think that's that's why you're here, right? You're the guy who knows nothing about comic books. Exactly. I'm, I'm exposition so man. anybody out there who's never heard of this, <laughs> right? Anybody who's never heard of this comic book, you're going to reflect their viewpoint in the podcast. So. All right, Jason, what are we going to take a look at today in this episode of Back Issue? Well, George, I believe we're looking at one of your favorite issues, New Teen Titans, number one from 1980. Oh, OK. Yep, that's right. So New Teen, Titan, New Teen Titans, volume one, issue one. This was definitely the book that kind of sent me down collecting a whole series. I had never really done that before. Uh, John, Mo, you guys might remember when you were younger, I'm guessing you did a similar thing to what I did. Like you would go with your mother or father somewhere, maybe to a grocery store or a department store, and they might have a comic book rack there. And you would just look at the covers and grab an issue off of a cover that looked cool, right? I'd go to the convenience store with my dad getting gas, and I would just grab the latest uh, copy of Richie Rich. Richie Rich, right? Okay, fair <laughs> enough. No, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, back in the 80s, I was definitely a, a big comic guy at that point. But um, luckily, you know, I grew up in New York, and there was still a couple really – they opened like Forbidden Planet and a couple other big comic book stores at the time. So oh, you got to go to Forbidden Planet. Wow, yeah, okay. So we had places to go that were – <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was it was fifteen minute walk from my house. Wow! <laughs> so yeah, that's so I like spent a lot of time royalty there. right there. So yeah. that's awesome. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Now Superman. Don't you know that you're a Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. 
New Teen Titans Volume 1, Issue 1, 1980. The story basically is the reforming of the New Teen Titans team. Raven is the character who brings them all together. And in the first issue, we're talking about bringing them together to help rescue the character Starfire. We're going to discuss all that a little bit later during our book synopsis roundtable discussion. But right now, let's talk about the people who created New Teen Titans. We're going to first start off with Marv Wolfman. Jason, have you done any research on Wolfman to find out a little bit about some of his backstory or what he's done with this stuff before? Oh, yeah. So Marv Wolfman is anybody that's been reading comic books for a while <laughs> has heard this name. He's He started back in the late 60s writing comics and working as an editor. He started at Marvel. Uh, some of his famous works would be a Tomb of Dracula, which introduced the character Blade. I think a few people have heard of Blade oh, before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So he had a hand in that, creating a lot of different Marvel characters. And also at Marvel is where he met the artist on a couple issues of Fantastic Four and Avengers, George Perez. Right. Now, George Perez is kind of the guy that I know a little bit about. George Perez is like he is to me what new teen Titans is all about. He was kind of the driving force behind the series. Really. I know he and Wolfman worked hand in hand on it, but really Perez was kind of the, he was the flair of the stories in the book for me. I, I mean, the guy is prolific. He and Wolfman together, especially they did new teen Titans. Then they did tales of teen Titans. Then they did a second volume of new teen Titans and they have created a whole plethora of a universe here for everybody to enjoy. I, I can't say enough good things about George Perez. Oh yeah. Something else about Wolfman though, just to bring it up is that, I mean, you're right though, that like, he is like part of the comic book pantheon of gods or whatever, for you right. know, starting the modern mm -hmm. comic book movement. Um, and I did a little digging and didn't realize this, but you know that he was responsible or in part for creating Bullseye? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. And wow. Black Cat and a whole bunch of other like just really Nova. I mean, all these like really kind of classic characters that like are still around today in TV and stuff. It's pretty amazing. Well, they definitely, I mean, you can say that both he and Perez together, they, they've they created some dynamic storylines, some dynamic characters that people know and love to this day. What about uh, some of the other artists that were on the book? There was Romeo Tangal. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. He was the inker on the book. He, he was the inker on the book, and uh, he's a Filipino artist. He's been around. No way. He's Filipino? Yeah. I had to tell my wife about that. <laughs> oh, just and, I collect all of them. <laughs> That's right. He's been around a long time. Uh, he's a prolific inker. Most of his work has been on DC. He did a lot of the Teen Titans primarily. He did some stuff with Firestorm. Really, oh, any, okay. DC, any DC book you can think of, he at least inked an issue or two of it. Uh, so wow. he's, yeah, he's definitely, uh, just look at his Wikipedia page and his DC credits are many. If I learned anything from Kevin Smith films now, I think Inker is just basically a glorified tracer. Is that right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin Smith was definitely poking fun at the trade, but Kevin Smith himself has done some inking. So I think it was kind of like, you know, making fun of himself. He's a very self-deprecating guy, but now Inker's it's just like the, the comment that Brody made back, or was it Brody? Brody was the character in that one. It was Brody, uh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Jason Lee so, character. The Jason Lee character. So the 
the comment that he made back about, no, only I add depth and shading and only then does the art live up to its fullest potential. I mean, that's kind of so, really so true. tracing. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a trace. <laughs> <laughs> well, they tend to turn a sketch into a final drawing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they do. Uh, the the artists, like in this case, Perez and Wolfman, both did some of the layout and art on the uh, book. They would do the rough sketches and everything, but Perez was also known for turning in highly detailed work. So he would, you know, the stuff he would turn over to the inker was already clean art, and then the inker would, in a sense, trace <laughs> he is a tracer those then. <laughs> lines. But he would also add shading and, you know, the depth of the perspective on the panel and that kind of stuff so right a little more texture detail on the the lines that the uh, pencil already did to kind of give it a little more definition um right to stand out yeah okay now that's what the writers layout art guys and inkers have done but there's also another big aspect of comic books unless of course it's a black and white comics and that's the color <laughs> and in this one this was done by adrian roy on this issue Jason, would we learn anything about Adrian Roy? Because I don't know anything about Adrian Roy. Right. Well, I I looked up Adrian Roy, and I had never heard of her either. But I guarantee after reading the short synopsis on Wikipedia, we've all come across her work before. She was a colorist primarily for a little bit of Marvel, but mostly DC. Uh, She did a lot of Teen Titans, but she was known for coloring a lot of the Batman titles during the 80s, early 90s. So Batman, Detective Comics, Shadow of the Bat, Robin. Wow. All those okay. she she worked on. Um, and then uh, she had kind of a sad story around 2000 when digital coloring became more of a thing. A lot of the old school colorists that used markers or, or what have you to color the books didn't have as much work uh so she didn't have as much work to do in the 2000s and then she unfortunately passed away in 2010 from cancer oh that's sad but i mean we got some some beautiful artwork out of you you're talking about batman i mean Mm -hmm. batman 80s 90s that's some seminal work there if she was involved in a lot of that stuff she was obviously top of the game at that point i mean you're not going to work on dc's batman without being one of the best Right. Yeah. He's the, you know, their number one guy. So, right. I don't want to insult the colorist like I would the tracer, but uh, you had me read this one. <laughs> and and like, 1980s, is that what you said it was? Yeah. yeah. 1980s, 1980s, actually, yeah, was, when this it, book came out. This, so, I mean, I've looked at some modern comic books and some retro stuff, I guess. And this is not terribly retro, it's just the 80s. It felt like a 16 bit comic. Like all the colors were super flat. And I'm like, they just had a fill tool. They wouldn't paint. They had a fill tool, and they went yellow, <laughs> blue, purple. You know, it was very, very flat kind of coloring. And so, I, so other than the colorist filling in what the tracer has traced, I mean, are they are they deciding the colors? Or, I mean, I mean, from what I understand, in talking with some of the other people that we've worked with on the show, the colorist has to work directly with the creator. But oftentimes, the colorist will turn in work that the creator didn't even envision. Wonder Woman, my little boy is out in that water, and I can't see him. We all ran out when I thought I saw a shark fin and... Great, Athena! Calm down and wait here. 
We have talked an awful lot about the people who created the book, but what we haven't discussed yet are the characters that they created. I'm going to start it off by talking about Raven, who is also known as Rachel Roth to those out there who are watching the new Titans TV show or any of the comic books that have come out for Titans since then. Uh, Raven is kind of this real mystical character that gets introduced in this book, and she's coming into people's dreams to help bring them together to form this team, but her motivations aren't really clear in this issue. It, it seems like she's a good person, but she doesn't necessarily have to be. There's some weird stuff. She's got that spectral thing going on with the soul spirit stuff and purple cloak and the smoke's always billowing around her. She just appears and disappears on whatever she wants to. What do you guys think of Raven? She was a lot different than the character I saw in Teen Titans cartoon back in the 90s. <laughs> oh, yeah, like the yeah. T- Teen Titans Go and stuff, the little kitty cartoon. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, I I agree with John. She was different then. um, And I believe you're referencing, John, there was a Teen Titans show on Cartoon Network that predated predated Teen Titans Go. uh, And it was was a little more – I mean, it was a kid's show, but it was a little more serious and had, you know, some storylines. I think they pulled from this new Teen Titans series. And Raven was kind of a moody, you know, goth. Exactly. She was Garth. Yeah, that's the word for it. Garth. (laughs) Teenager. (laughs) Didn't seem like the type of person that would go around and being very direct and competent about forming a, you know, a team. Um, Just this was a different interpretation than what I'm used to as far as Raven goes. Now, Raven was the character who starts bringing the team together. But the first character that we see that we all know not the first character in the book, but the first character we that we all probably recognize right off the bat is Robin, Dick Grayson, right? right? Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, they have the you see him pass like uh, Batman, like in one panel, right? <laughs> As he's running out the door, yeah, <laughs> right. He's like leaving out the door, and Batman's like, "I see you're dressed up. Do you need any help?" He's like, "No, I got this. Leave me alone." It looks like there's some tension in the relationship. I thought it was funny right? that yeah. he said, "You're wearing your costume," and I'm like, "Do superheroes call their?" Uniforms, costumes? Yeah, he didn't call it a uniform, right? <laughs> that used to be a big thing for us back in the Star Trek Club. Don't call it a costume, it's a uniform. I see well, you're I mean, wearing look your at Robin wears. That is a costume. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> green, what was it? Green underwear and red. Yeah, it's kind of a little what Batman, weirdness to that one. Well, actually, I don't know what Bruce Wayne was talking about. I mean, the guy had a freaking ascot. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> With a pipe or something, right? <laughs> yeah, he was like he was Sherlock Holmes, I guess. He was referencing, you know, the great detective thing with the pipe and the Aska. That's funny. Uh, so we have Raven. We have Robin. The next character that uh, I want to bring up is one of my favorites is Kid Flash, Wally West. You guys know anything about Kid Flash, Wally West, Speedy. any of his history or anything? Speedy? No, no, Speedy was the Archer, Green Arrow. Was yes. Speedy is, Freedy's from Green Arrow. That's a that's different right, character, right. but. Kid Flash. Well, I mean, you could call him really Speedy. Uncreate, that's when they got like uncreative with the names, right? <laughs> Flash, he's a sidekick. Yeah. Flash Jr. Well, Flash. Some of the other ones <laughs> are much Flash. better. <laughs> yeah. Little Flash. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, back then it was just like, okay, take the main character's name because they wanted that marketing value, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't want to oh, sure. get rid of the word Flash, so they needed to keep that. So, well, how are we going to show that he's younger? Well, he's Kid Flash. Oh, there you go. But this was Wally West. Right. And when I got back into comics and, you know, reading a little bit into Teen Titans and saw that, uh, you know, this Kid Flash, I thought, this is a horrible costume. And then I saw it was Wally (laughs) West. Well, when I was getting into comics and reading comics, Wally West was the Flash. Um, So Mm. it was kind of 
you know, right, revelation. Because you started reading them a little bit later when Wally later. West had taken over from Barry Allen. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, it's interesting for me to visit this and see that, you know, he was a, uh, you know, a sidekick and a member of the Titans um, and he wasn't always the Flash. Now, John, the next character that I was going to bring up is Wonder Girl. So I know it's, you know, again, it's another character <laughs> name that's very derivative of the of the parent character, so to speak. But this is Donna Troy. What if Wonder Woman was a kid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, see anything when you were reading this issue about Wonder Girl or anything that maybe you could find a way to relate with your daughter or anything? Did this... Did that character do anything or did it pull you in at all? You know, it, it really didn't, oddly enough. I, I thought it was interesting. They took about three or four panels to give her history. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, they flash back to like, I guess her parents died and Deanna Troy adopted her and took her to the to the uh, the island of Wonder Girls or wherever people go for Wonder Woman training. <laughs> Paradise and, Island, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. And, and, <laughs> well, and, but but then once she was there, she ended up, she didn't seem to me to be any like any different than any of the other, like I, I in fact, at that moment, I noticed, you know, her body type and her face is drawn almost exactly the same as Raven's body type and her face. I, I did like how they created uh, her whole backstory in a few panels so that, Somebody like me at least knew where she was coming from. Yeah, and that's one of the uh, things when you look this issue up in the different comic book databases, it talks about it having the origin story of Donna Troy. Uh, none of the other characters get their origin stories in this issue, uh, partly because a lot of the characters were introduced in, uh, what was that book, Jason? It was Detective number 29 at the time or something like that, 26 maybe? It was a DC, it was DC Comics Presents number 26, I believe. That's it. Yeah. There you go. So a lot of the characters that we're talking about in this were introduced in that issue. So we didn't get the backstories in this issue. I found it interesting that they did choose Wonder Girl for the backstory. I would have thought maybe Raven, since she was kind of the character driving everything, but I guess they decided to keep her a mystery. Some of those characters that were introduced in that DC Presents number 26, though, the next one would be Changeling. But at the time, he wasn't Changeling, and he makes several references to trying to get away from the name Beast Boy. These hammers at home, over and over. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I found it interesting with his character that he has, like, he's the one character, they all have their idiosyncrasies and everything, but he actually points out his own defense mechanism being that he likes to tell jokes to keep himself from going crazy with all the things he's seeing. I found that kind of fascinating because it never occurred to me that the superhero characters would be like freaked out by the stuff they were seeing. They're superheroes. They should be used to this, but these are teens. These are younger people. So this is a lot of the stuff is new to them. I mean, not necessarily Robin and Kid Flash and Wonder Girl who have been around for a while, but some of these newer characters, Changeling, Cyborg, those guys. I mean, yeah, I can see where this stuff would throw them for a loop, but at least he's got a defense mechanism. for. I found Beast Boy to be the most multidimensional character in this 25 pages or whatever. I mean, everybody else up until that point in, in reading it had been what I expect from you know, 80 superheroes. I will save you. I'm in a spaceship. You know, and he's like, dude, you're hot. You know, <laughs> and he, he's, you know, he's, he's making jokes about, you know, you're sexy or you know, he jumps in somebody's arms or when somebody accuses him of being a chauvinist, he literally turns into a pig. You know, yeah. I, I found that to be the most like dimensional of a personality, you know, compared to, you know, like Robin has motivations, but it's like, I don't want to be, you know, somebody who's prefixed by Batman and all the time. He just wants out of this sh- shadow. 
but there was a personality that came through beyond the superhero for me anyway. Right. Absolutely. And Beast Boy actually has been around for a while. He was introduced in Doom Patrol 99 oh, back right. in Doom ni- Patrol. 19, I remember that. 1965. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So he's he had been around a while and that DC Comics Presents is when um, they changed his name to Changeling. Um, huh. But – I guess that didn't stick because I know on the Teen Titans cartoon, he was referred to as Beast Boy. And I think he's just been Beast Boy ever since. You know, he's a changeling, but he seems to only be able to change into animals, which is odd because you would think a changeling could change into a lamp if he felt like it. But no, he can only change into animals. So that's why they went with Beast Boy at that point, I guess. But made a little bit more sense than changeling because changeling seems to mean you can change into anything. Right. And uh, I was surprised... He's usually portrayed in some other media as a lot younger, um, like early teens. But this uh, book, he was, you know, looked to be the same age as the rest of them. Maybe they should just call him Manimal. Yes. Yeah, Manimal. <laughs> <laughs> was there a Manimal? I, I got... <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit now about Cyborg. This is a character that I know John and Mo, we both went to see when we went to watch Justice League. They introduced that character into the DC universe of films. What did you guys think comparing this Cyborg to the Justice League film version? I thought it was almost identical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they, they pretty much just took it right from here. Right. My hotshot scientist dad who turned me into a monster. And that's like, is that the same script from Justice League? I think that's what he said. (laughs) I mean, you know, I wouldn't doubt that they used that as a heavy influence. I mean, that's kind of the cyborg Victor Stone character when he's first introduced. He's always, you know, he hates his father for what he feels his father turned him into and everything. I loved in this story how there was the segment at the very beginning where he's trying to get back on his, like appears to be a college or high school sports track team with his coach. And he's like, I can jump 25. I can jump 30. I can, you want me to jump a hundred? I can jump a hundred. Just put me on the team. And he's like, Nope. (laughs) Just walking away. (laughs) Probably one of the last characters I want to bring up, at least one of the last Teen Titan team members. And this is the one that they're all coming together to rescue is the iconic Starfire, who is also named Coriander, which at the time when I was reading it, I didn't process that word. Now I understand, you know, it's a spice. And Jason, you were even telling me earlier that it's a spice that's used in a lot of beers, apparently, and everything. The Belgian wheat beers like a Blue Moon or a Shock Top will have some some coriander flavor in it. So I guess they were saying that this character is going to be very spicy. We definitely saw some spicy scenes from her, like where she decided she needed to finally learn English. Uh, That was in issue number two, not in issue number one, but... If you guys haven't read that yet, you'll find that really funny. How she makes Lonnie Anderson look like olive oil. She did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I must have read that line three times and went, did he just say that? <laughs> Entitled The Conquistador. Wow. The look in his eyes when he said that. And why is my spider sense tingling all of a sudden? Huckleberry Comics is a publisher working on creating the most innovative and unique graphic novels, one-shots, manga, tabletop games, and even eventually video games. Right now, we're working on getting ready to launch Dream State Radicals, a project which has taken 18 artists over two years to create. It's a gritty sci-fi thriller in the vein of Dusex, Blade Runner, Detroit, and so many more. It's an awesome graphic novel with tons of free concept art, and we'll be launching on Indiegogo early 2019. Follow us on Twitter, at HuckleberryDSR, like us on Facebook, or check out our website to learn more. 
Starfire, you know, we see her in the opening panels of this comic book. We see how she's escaping from this character. But then very the very next panels are all about Raven and Robin coming together. Like Raven is introducing herself into Robin's dreams. And you see those mythical fight scenes that apparently might happen in the future, you know, that she's giving him. What do you guys think about how Raven actually turned out to be the person trying to bring the team together as opposed to everybody assumes it's usually Robin? Well, I thought it added like another dimension to the story because you don't know much about her and what her motivations are. You know, why would she do it? Like Robin, you know, you pretty much trigger if he was doing it, it says, oh, we have to defeat blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, She seems to have more long-term plans. Right. You know, than I think what's normal, like it's not the immediate threat. She's looking down the road for something that they need to do. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting twist, um, just having grown up knowing a lot about Robin and Dick Grayson and that he was the ward of Bruce Wayne, you know, Batman, you would think he'd be the one that would get the team together. But just reading this story and this mysterious character showing up and almost ominous with the message and the charge, I thought it was cool. And, um, you know, a little bit different twist, especially if you think you know about the Teen Titans read this issue and you find out you don't know as much as you do about their origin and how they got started. John, I know that you're kind of our comic book neophyte in this episode, but guilty. You yep. have to know who Robin is a little bit. You've you've certainly been introduced to him through some Batman form. Yeah. Burt Ward. No. <laughs> I know Robin. Absolutely. So with with your knowledge of Robin and you've got some knowledge of Raven also from the TV series, the animated yeah, series right? that you had watched previously. Did, were you expecting that to be the twist or did it feel right to you? Did it feel OK? What did you think? Uh, it's it was very alien to what I knew of the Teen Titans. So, I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I didn't come in with any baggage at all. So it didn't feel like a twist to me. Uh, I mean, I knew who Robin was, but he's always been a sidekick in my eyes. So. Not having any like like I know just enough to know that I think later he gets mad and decides to be called Nightwing instead because he's mad at Batman or something in the future. But <laughs> I'm sure that sounds hilarious and wrong. <laughs> no, but no. The point is actually, that I, I always cool. okay. I always thought of him as a sidekick, and so it didn't surprise me. There was no twist when you know this all knowing, all powerful you know, super metaphysical kind of character came in and, you know, got into his dreams and picked up the phone and was already dialing somebody. And uh, he, he seemed like the, I expected him not necessarily to be the catalyst, except that I did know that later he seems to be the leader based on my knowledge of the cartoon. So it didn't seem like a big a twist to me. Okay. Now, you know, the team building was, it had to happen in the first few pages, otherwise you can't get to the story. But I wanted to talk about one particular aspect in this story because I I didn't pick up on it when I was younger and I definitely should have. I mean, I was, I think, 12 or so when I first started reading this because I didn't get them right in 1980 when they first came out. I got them in like 81 or 82. And I found one thing really intriguing in this issue was Wally West, like at first, Robin calls him up on the phone. Hey, we're starting to do Teen Titans again because this chick name, you know, this chick came into my dreams and she wants. <laughs> he's like, and hard pass. He's like, you know what? Nope. Hard pass. I'm full time in college. I know you dropped out, but that's your thing. I'm going to college and I'm happy. Boom. Done. You do you. YOLO. <laughs> right. And Raven says, that's exactly what I expected you to do. Dick Grayson. I'll take care of Wally West. You go find Wonder Girl and blah, blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, Wally West just shows up and he's like whole hog into the team now. And throughout some of the other panels, 
He's like almost moderately obsessed with her. He's like, Raven would never do that to us. I'm like, how the hell do you know? Wow, we just met Wow, wow. <laughs> right. What did Raven do to convince Wally to bail on college and come fight on a super team? Well, That's he's a exactly guy. what huh. I want to know. Let's think about this. Teenager. Boy, huh? We're guessing based on the tone of some of the other stuff in the comic book, but I mean, did she use some kind of mystical power to like Jedi yeah, mind I, I trick was teasing him maybe? about the bouncing or- wow, wow, quite frankly. I had, I assumed that what was going on was he, she went to him with uh, some other motivation that we'll find out later. And, you know, essentially he's like, I'm not interested. And she went right. and said, yeah, but you know that based on something will happen in the future and your father and he that that convinced him is what I assume. But he was definitely obsessed with her. Jason, what did you think? Yeah, I thought that was a little odd. And I guess it was a way to speed up the storytelling instead of having another Raven, you know, a vision appear to, you know, all the characters. He just shows up and that was kind of odd. Uh, do we ever find out what she said or did to him? Or is that just remains a mystery throughout the series? You know, honestly, I can't remember. I yep. really don't. I mean, there's some dark stuff that happens around Kid Flash, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember what the Raven storyline and Wally West Kid Flash was because I honestly didn't pick up on it when I was younger. So now I've got to go back and read <laughs> all 40 issues just so I can educate myself. <laughs> Whenever I see a sequence like the first five or six pages of, of this book, it's like, you know, Raven is pulling a Jake and Elwood on everybody. You know, she's traveling from site to site. I'm getting the band back together. Getting the band right. together. It's always, mm-hmm. you go to this person and they'll, oh, I'm not interested. <laughs> no, you're coming. You go to this person, but I have a good job. No, you're coming. You go, you know, over and over. And it's exactly what Jake and Elwood do in the Blues Brothers. And for whatever reason, that is the measuring stick against which I hold any of these sequences. Uh, and that's what it reminded me of. <laughs> they do. So they yeah, yeah. Up to the Blues Brothers. We're in a mission for God. They're on a mission right. for God. <laughs> I don't want to spoil this book in case you haven't read it, but I'll just say that we have an idea that the team does come together because otherwise we wouldn't have issue number two, three, four, five, so on and so forth. And there are some interesting, unique storylines. There's a lot of foreshadowing in this first book that some of it comes out later on. I'm going to go back and read now to find out about the Wally West Raven obsession stuff and everything. I'm just kind of curious though, the Teen Titans are becoming and have been for a long time, kind of a big deal. They now have a TV show. Some of the characters are involved in some very large film productions like Justice League. And they just had another, I don't want to harp on the cartoons, but they just had another animated movie that came out this year. Okay, fair enough. So it's still still relevant. I mean, it's 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 very relevant. It's a franchise that's still getting traction. Yeah, and the Titans TV show, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I've I've watched the first episode of that. Jason, have you watched any of the Titans TV show yet? I have not. Uh, I do not have the DC service yet. One thing we talked about on the Gen X Grown Up podcast when we discussed the Titans TV show was I was a little bit taken aback how they used the city of Detroit in this one. And I was like, really? Real cities in DC? But in this issue, they were talking about New York. Uh So apparently... Real cities do exist in the DC universe. I just didn't pick up on it all this time. I guess I was just an idiot. We know the new Teen Titans are a huge franchise. They're out there in movies and in TV shows. John, I know there's a there's a new animated series that you've mentioned in the past, right? That they've brought out recently. The film came out just this year. So yeah, this is a franchise that still has traction. 
Yeah, and I know the Judas Contract was also a film that they did recently, and that's one of their more prolific storylines that a lot of people know that's involving another character that gets introduced a little bit later on. Well, actually, two characters that get introduced later on, uh, Terra and Jericho. The New Teen Titans, it always seems to revolve around a core group and then they expand and add on these additional characters. So Robin's almost always part of the new Teen Titans in some shape or form. You've got Wonder Girl, who's usually there, Kid Flash of some shape, and then all the other characters, depending upon the iteration, come and go. I hope you guys enjoyed the book. You know, I know that I did. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, You know, some of the dialogue was corny, but um, they really planted a lot of seeds uh, in this that I could see why it would become a big hit back then. And it was also DC's first big hit in the 80s. It was their answer to X-Men. And I could, you know, see a lot of similarities with X-Men and New Mutants with what they were doing with this Teen Titans. So I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad you brought it to my attention. This is one I had never read. I Frankly, one. It's one of the 18 quadrillion I've never read because I haven't read a lot of comic books. But you asked me to read it for the show, which I... So I started stepping through it. And I will say that, again, from my perspective, in the first maybe two pages or so, the thing that grabbed Jason, which was the exciting space battle with this character you hadn't seen, it was hard for me... Not. I don't want to say hard to follow. I could follow it. It didn't grab me because I wasn't invested at all in even what was coming up. I didn't have, I didn't know the Teen Titans are coming up because they meant nothing to me building up. Uh, but by the time the third or fourth page, probably I'm like, okay, I'm following. We got kind of to Robin and his dream sequence. Um, and though I didn't immediately uh, binge onto the the next issue, I was interested in what was going to happen next. So it did get, it get my, got my attention enough to care. I saw the same things probably you did. It was kind of dated. It was a little lot, a lot of exposition. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was cool in how it was delivered and as being a snapshot in time, I thought it was intriguing to see. Ben, I'm sick and tired of your insults. You're complaining. And I'm sick of you, period. In fact, I'm going to paste you one right in that smug kisser of yours. Ben, stop. Look what's happening to you. You're changing. This is one time you don't talk your way out of it, mister. I'm gonna mop up the place with you. And I mean now. Wait, darling, run. Things turned into some sort of thing. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other past episodes to drawn at genxgrownup.com. And find Drawn and Paneled is more than a podcast. You can find our other content on the Gen X Grown Up YouTube channel or our website at genxgrownup.com. And that is another episode of Drawn and Paneled Back Issues. I wanted to thank our guests, John and Mo, for joining us today. Hey, it was fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys for joining us today on the podcast. Jason, I hope you had a great time. I did. Thanks for bringing this issue to my attention. And we will see you guys next time. See you guys. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. 
Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.